Welcome to the Western Vowel podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, What's Love? And What's Love Got to Do With It? The Eternal Questions and Easy Misunderstandings. The talk was given by Regina Sarah Ryan on June 27, 2020, in Prescott, Arizona. Regina is the editor of Home Press, a workshop leader, retreat guide, and author of The Woman Awake, Igniting the Inner Life, Praying Dangerously, Only God, and other books. Regina Sarah Ryan. So I'll make the invocation by reading a poem, and then we'll take a couple of moments to be in silence together. So this is a poem that has to do with the subject tonight. As Hafiz might say, the subject tonight is love. Um, And this is from Red Hawk, who most of you are familiar with. And this poem is called Amo Ergo Sum. Descartes said, Cogito Ero Sum. I think, therefore I am. He had it all wrong, of course. He was an intellectual. I am is a statement of being. Being is not thinking. Love is being. I love, therefore I am. To think about love is not love. In the same way that thinking about fire will neither cook your food nor warm you on a winter night. Love is fire. It brings heat and light. So the subject tonight is love. And Red Hawk has really said it, that thinking about love is not love. But love is being. And so I'd like to invite us to take a minute to just rest in some stillness and to be present with all the people that are on this call with us tonight in this meeting. Uh, Whatever that might mean to you to be in love and to be in love with the people at this meeting. I've been watching my language and how often I say I love you, but I think it's more accurate to say I am in love with you. So let's just take a moment to be quiet and find ourselves in the body, find ourselves in in this um, circle of friends who've come together to consider what's love. So thank you. Tonight for me is um, very exciting. I've been excited all week thinking about being with you all. And um, wanting to 
step a little bit outside the box of usual talk formats and um, make this a, a sharing about love as much as it is a, um, a talk about love. Because really, what else could I tell you <laughs> that you haven't already heard? Really. And what else could I tell you that hasn't been sung in every form, in every song, you know, in thousands and thousands of songs that have created a cultural you know, mindset about what the nature is of love? You know, what, if I, what could I possibly tell you that you haven't read in poems or heard from spiritual teachers or whatever? But one thing I do know, I don't know much about love, but I do know that love is a present phenomenon only. So as a, as a verb, as an experience, love is only alive. Love is only the present. And it's insofar as I bring, bring into the present with me those who I've loved throughout my life, throughout history. It's only in the present that I love. And I can't love tomorrow. So we're not doing anything else except being together with another group of individual seekers on a path. And this is the only chance we have to love is with this group right here, right now. And with the deep imprints of those who we have loved, but they're present and alive for and with and in us. It's all been said. And it's been said from love is all you need to love is not enough. and all variations in between. I want to talk to you a little bit about an exquisite experience of love, which has to do with knowing that one is loved. Moment of what we might call unconditional love. You've heard that phrase. It's kind of scary, but... Um, that experience of unconditional love. Uh, many years ago, I was caring for a friend who was dying. And she, um, she called me into the room one day and she said, she grabbed my hand and she said, Regina, Regina, God is love. And I said, yes, yes, wonderful, wonderful. What my friend was experiencing in that moment was she was actually experiencing whatever was God for her, and it was love. She was in love, and her, the power of her full-on bodily experience of that love was completely, you know, it completely came into me. So I was with her in love. And I never forget that moment. Those kinds of moments when there is this sense of a timeless, expansive, no-holds-barred, unconditional nature of love. So um, it's mind-boggling when you get it. 
And it does, doesn't always happen because it's some, um, some fantastically wonderful event that brings it on. My, um, my dear husband, Jerry, you know, many of you know that he died last August. And for a number of years, it was my work to be his full-time caretaker. And there was a time when we were up in Rasa Creek, which is in Canada, Lalita's ashram, my friend Lalit. And Jerry had, was using his walker and he went through the door and I was in the other room and then I heard a crash. And I came through, I had to actually climb over him and over the walker to get into the room. And um, I got down on the floor with him. He wasn't hurt, but he was fallen and the, the walker was on top of him. And I just took him in my arms and I just didn't do anything. I just looked at him and he looked at me. And in that moment, we were together beyond, um, beyond the limitations of the physical body. The fact that he was wounded, fallen, you know, a wounded warrior in that moment, and I was there to care for him. But luckily, I stopped long enough just to be with him in that moment. And where we went with each other was complete silence. There were no words spoken. We just knew that whatever was transpiring between us was eternal. It had nothing to do with the physical forms. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was, you know, he was very quite handicapped at that time or that I was trying to help him or anything or that we'd been married for 45 years at that point, you know, nothing. It was just, we were in the dimension known as love. So I've heard mothers talk and fathers talk about this moment when they've held their infant for the first time. It's a moment that's eter eternal. And it doesn't matter that the kid, you know, in his teenage years is, completely crazy and wild and, you know, hard to live with. <laughs> but this, this, this birth moment, this, this in-loveness is, is a tangent point and, and it's so real. It's such an absolute tangent point that we can access, that I can access as a way into this dimension of this chamber um, that I'm calling unconditional love. But even if it's not quote unquote unconditional, it, it's, it's right up there. It's certainly not the, I love those corn chips or I love that, um, <laughs> I love those cowboy boots. You know, it's a little, it's of a little higher nature than that. So I'm so happy I'm seeing a few people wiping their eyes. I hope it's not just allergies, I hope it's tears. It's cleansing for all of us. And I, I just thank you so much for, for letting yourself feel and letting yourself have an edge of a bit of rawness in this, if, if that's what's happening. And if it's not, no problem. I'm using the word love, but also I could, I could have a lot of other words for it too. And throughout the ages, the great philosophers and the great spiritual teachers have given many, many different aspects of this 
many different rasas, as, we, as they say in the Hindu tradition, um, about what this is, whatever this is. But what I'm asking you is if, in fact, you can relate to, uh, to a, an experience of pure attention, of being in, in, I would call it in love or in pure presence or pure attention. Thank you. you. You touch me when you talk about how it took that inner weeping to bring you to this other place. And um, this is a big, this is a big piece of, of what I'm sharing with you tonight, because I'm speaking about a subject that's very strong for me, but I'm also speaking to it out of a context of grief. And the grief is one of the primary ways that I see to access this, this chamber of the heart, uh, whatever you want to call it. You can call it attention, presence, you know, caring, um, unconditional love, whatever. But um, I, don't think it, I don't think it opens easily with, with um, frozen, frozen walls or... <laughs> you know, or ice picks or whatever, but I think it does open with tears. So I thank you for bringing that out. And um, I'm on board with that one for sure. <laughs> There's all different quote unquote kinds of love. And like I say that, you know, they, they started being um, described and named by the ancient Greeks and other people throughout the ages. I love the fact that the, uh, some of the ancient Hindu, Hindu traditions had different ways in which one was in love with God or in love with Lord Krishna, for example. So it's, it, there's a parallel between what they were talking about in relationship to the love of Krishna and the way the Greeks were just describing the various um, types of love. So in the, in the um, relationship to Krishna, they were talking about one could be in relationship to Krishna as a mother to a child. So one's relationship to, to life or to creation was this mother love to, towards God. It was protective. It was soft. It was compassionate. It was forgiving. And it was, it, was, it was there with its arms, you know, its arms to embrace the divine. Or one could be in relationship to Krishna as a friend. And, you know, having hung out with a spiritual teacher for many, many years, it was always really cool to see when he actually could have a friend or a peer rather than somebody always just looking up to him or fighting against him in some way. But the relationship of of brother, you know, as Balarama was the brother of Lord Krishna. Um, it's a particular kind of, of relationship. It's, you know, it's, it's filial, as the Greeks would say, filial love, the love of brothers, uh, which is also very similar to the love of friends. So one could be a friend, not necessarily a brother. And that, that we, have, we have that kind of experience with each other. That kind of love is quite, is so juicy. You know, I'm talking about 
uh, a type of love called agape, which is the, the pure love of God and the, and the recognition of the pure love that God has for creation. Yet we have these, these very, very many other wonderful expressions of that love as, um, as filial love and friendship. L- listen to the song's million-dollar hits, like um, when you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing, nothing is going right. James Taylor saying, you got a friend, you know. And Simon and Garfunkel singing, you know, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. This, this type of love that one has for a friend and actually the the relationship of friend is is a wonderful is a wonderful adjunct to erotic love that one might have in a, in an intimate relationship so one can have filial love for one's partner or for the people in one's life and one can also have erotic love for someone in one's life and one can also be in agape love with a partner or another another being which is like transcends the physical trans and only uh, exerts us into the into the objective so yes so many different so many different aspects and textures and you know um rasas as we would say of love for me right now as much as i I love, as much as I enjoy, going into those and looking at the various ways and the various textures that those have. I am much more interested in igniting the flame of that in my heart with you right now. You know, the Ink Spots have this great song that starts, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. You know, some of these songs, they are so kitschy, but they're also, they also have such profound meaning. And for me, that's really the thing I'm most interested in right now is looking at when and if we have a tangent point in our life for a type of love that we can refer to ongoingly as a touchstone as we move through these difficult times, any difficult times, you know, these difficult times, any difficult times, moving with that precious jewel in our hands, with that touchstone, with the Buddha in the palm of our hands, whatever, whatever image it is that we might have for that. A big piece for us as, as people on the spiritual path is not to try and fix the heartbreak through our, do- our dogmas and our doctrines about, or our ideas about what love is, but really let ourselves take the curriculum. And this is a school of love. You know, this, this particular plane of existence, one of the big 
one of the big pieces, one of the big courses in this curriculum of this, of this plane is, is love. You take love 101, 102. We've got to take this curriculum. This was my dear Jerry's, one of his favorite sayings, you know, you got here, you know, you've got this body, you're given this opportunity, take the curriculum, don't turn away from it. And when, when a grief, when a loved one leaves us or dies, moves on, the, the opportunity to really deeply, deeply feel and not try to fix, but really allow ourselves to be taken in, by, taken over by, by the tsunami of, of whatever is coming to us. And at the same time, we have a point of reference in, in difficult times like that. So let me talk just a little bit more about some things that I brought with me tonight. And, um, and then we'll, we'll go on from there. But I, I did bring some, some favorite things to, to read to you. And one of the things I want to read to you is from my teacher, Lee. Those of you who knew my teacher, Lee Lazowick, you knew that he wasn't he wasn't a love junkie. He didn't use that. He didn't like to use that word. He didn't like to use the word enlightenment. He didn't like to use the word love in, a, in any kind of a romantic or sentimental way. He was not that kind of guy. You know, he was not just gaze in my eyes and love me and that's it you know, at all. Um, even though many of us would have liked that to have been the case more often than not, but it wasn't. It was more like Grow up, get your shit together, get your head out of your butt, you know? I mean, that was uh, a lot of his message, too, even though kindness, generosity, and compassion were, were, the, were his buzzwords. But this piece comes in one of his journals that he wrote in the year 2009, and this is a year before he died. So he already had a diagnosis of cancer. The doctors determined it was terminal, and, but, you know, he wouldn't speak of terminal cancer, he wouldn't speak of that. But he did, he did write in his journals about a variety of things. And every once in a while in reading these old, older journals, I come across something like this that reveals an aspect of him that he didn't reveal a lot in because he had other work to do. He had, he had a bunch of students who needed their butts kicked in some ways. But one of the first things he said in this piece, which he wrote on St. Patrick's Day, um, March 17th, 2009, was he said, um, do you feel the love? He says, do you? I certainly do, but I'm not letting on. He says, um, feel the love that is the essence of the path. The core of existence itself. The defining element of creation. Feel the love that is God's self-reflection. The purpose of being. The radiance that is truth. That is creation. Feel the love. Don't wait for me or anyone else to demonstrate it. You feel the love. It's always available, always accessible. It is, in fact, 
not other than yourself. So you, yes, you, feel the love. So that, that particular piece is probably one of my most favorite um, passages that he ever, he ever wrote. Um, and he obviously wrote it at a time of great vulnerability in his own, in his own life process. Um, and I, I see it as a, an essential revelation that he was leaving as a legacy. Um, and I've, it's, it's in a little, I copy it in my little prayer book that I carry with me and I use with my favorite prayers and so on. Because if we, if I was to get this, <laughs> this changes everything. If I don't just think this, but if I actually allowed this to permeate the cells of my body, I could actually sit with this in, in stillness and in silence in the, in the, as I started my day and let this teaching just, just soak into me. It would change everything. It would change everything about, about my day. It would change everything about the way in which the blood flows in my veins and my heart beats and everything else. It is the essence of the path with a capital P. The love is the essence of the path. So we're on all kinds of paths and they're, you know, they're leading us to this, to, you could call it, you can, other paths will call it liberation. You know, other paths will say it's for compassion and so on. And he says, love is feeling the love is the essence of the path. And he says, it's the defining element of creation. And it's the core of existence itself. In my, in my own terms, I love the term ground of being, that love is the ground of being. And out of that, Lee made a teaching many years ago, which was, it's not unique to him, of course, but he, he made the teaching very clearly with saying that love is not scarce. And, um, you know, I grew up in a family, I was the oldest of seven. So uh, it wasn't scarce when I was number one, but it got a little scarcer in my understanding of things when there were two and three and four and five and six and seven others of us, you know, trying to occupy our parents' arms and time. Uh, so it's, it's totally the human thing, you know, that, we, that everything is quantified. So if I got it, then you can't have it. Or if I get a big piece, you have to have a little piece because there's just so much to go around. And the, the teaching that love is not scarce turns the, turns the tables on that, absolutely. Because if I, if I examine some of, the re, some of the problems I might have in a relationship, it's because that person has more than me, or they're better than me, or you know, they're closer than me to whatever is my goal or whatever. They've got more of this than me. And in people on the spiritual path, we can very easily fall into this. We have some special access or some special handle on some, something called God or spirit or whatever. Uh, we can make ourselves privileged in that way. But to actually sit with as a koan of, of 
reality that love is not scarce. And, and in your relationships with your, with your loved ones, with your families, to recognize how that shows up, you have to kind of see it. You have to really see it in life for it to make an impact on you. Because just as a concept, it doesn't matter. But if you start looking at the way in which, if I start looking at the way I show up, I do come out of the idea that it's a quantity and that it's scarce and that there's just so much to go around. But if when, it's, when I'm out of that love is scarce mentality, everything changes. Everything. So if that's of any use to anybody and something you want to sit with, um, I offer that to you. I'm going to uh, spend another few minutes talking about a, the same subject, love, from a slightly different point of view, things I've mentioned already. So here's the takeaway. And I got the takeaway just last weekend. I took a, I took a, a, a two-day retreat. We have a small retreat center on the property of our ashram and and I was I was studying a book by Meister, about Meister Eckhart, the great German mystic monk, and also um, some work from Rabbi Abraham Heschel, who I spoke about in a previous talk here a number of months ago, and Matthew Fox. So all three of them were were having discussions in this book. So uh, it was it was a lively discussion. And what they came to was something about how the access of the door of creativity. And as I read it, I said, well, that's fine if you want to call it creativity. But for me, it's accessing the chamber of love. And so the way it, the way it transpired for me in sort of a visionary sense was that there was this anteroom to the chamber of love. And in the anteroom, one was given the key, some keys to enter the chamber. But you, um, you could actually practice with these keys. You didn't have to just, you know, they, they didn't necessarily just open automatically. You had to have some facility with them. But practicing with them opened the door, the door or doors of love. And the three, um, the three keys that I received from, from this study was that these, these are stillness, awe, and grief. And when we talk about love, we all, we, we'd all like to be in love more or realize that we are already in love. And sometimes the access point of that, that touchstone remembrance is not immediately available to us. But these other three can be the way in which we practice love. We practice in advance of entering the chamber of love. And the first being stillness. So, you know, it's not just, as you know, those of you who've been on this path for a long time, you know there's a big difference between just being silent or just being quiet or just ha having your mouth shut and also this quality called stillness. Stillness is something that, that is a, a deep, soaked experience where the very 
you know, the inner organs of the body, the breath, the heart, the sound begins to still. Not necessarily that the heart beats slower, but the, the racing mind is quieted and the, the body itself settles into a place of deep rest. And it, it, it's that stillness that creates all kinds of openings for us. Uh, one of the people that I've read had a beautiful quote that said, could we be so still within, so patient that we wait for the right action to emerge? Can we be so still within, so patient that we await the right action to emerge? For me, this, um, this question of stillness is, is just so so awesome because what it does is it gets us in touch with our true nature and it gets us in touch with it without having to have an intellectual grasp of what it is that we're that we are we don't have to be able to say it in words the stillness is what takes us and puts us in the presence of that true nature and if we're grasping if i'm i have to keep going back to I, because this is truly my own work, if I attempt to overlay the, what was that on my inner experience? I've already lost it. But if I can rest deeply in the not knowing and just be in that stillness, it is, it is the space from which the heart can open and the true um, action can emerge. But somebody said this, but first you have to stop. Stillness is possible in the midst of, of full-on action. But that's, pretty, that's a pretty advanced practice. And for most of us, it requires a lot of actual stopping to get in touch with the stillness that can then be accessible in the midst of a lot more action. But in the place of stillness, what we're accessing is not a thought about what is. We're actually tasting what is. And um, this is another thing that Meister Eckhart and Rabbi Abraham were speaking about, was that it is, it is with the sense of taste, not the physical sense of taste, but the subtle sense of taste that one experiences divine love and experiences God. It's a really helpful metaphor, a really helpful way of describing things, because the, the, tr- the attempt to grasp at the, at the mental level, you know, it's interesting at best. It's fascinating even. But to recognize that there's no way to actually grasp this mystery and then to say that it's really about the taste uh, and for me, this 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 brings it into a whole nother a whole nother realm of experience. So when the psalmist says, you know, taste and see how good is the Lord, that's that's what they're saying. You know, they're not saying you know you're you're going to take a bite out of it. They're they're actually saying that it it is at the level of the sensation 
of the subtle sensation of taste whereby one follows and deeply, deeply touches upon this mystery. The second is awe. Second access to this chamber of love is awe. And you can add the words wonder. You can add the word curiosity as a relationship to, to, to life and existence. Because what happens with awe, and I think awe is, the, is that experience that many of you had when you first held an infant, when you first held your own child. You had no words for this. It was pure awe. You know, where did this come from? It was not I, even though you knew it came from your body or it came from the, the body of the woman you were with. It, it still was beyond that. It was pure awe. And you were put in touch with a larger reality, a reality of wonder, a reality of awe. And that kind of experience, that kind of taste, really puts one on one's knees. And, and, and causes one to, to, to bow down before something that's of such, of such magnitude. So the awe and the wonder leads to humility. It leads to a, a broad view. It leads to gratitude. Yes, yeah, so, so sometimes we have that that, that experience with a, with an actual with actually with a human being where we're where we're put beyond we have no we have no words to describe what this what this one is. We just know that something bigger than we've ever encountered, something larger is is holding it all or you know is 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 running this show. <laughs> Oh yeah, so you know, even our scientists, the great, even our great scientists, you know, starting with long before Einstein, but Einstein saying it's really about the mystery. This is the, the this is where the science has taken them, is to the to the foot of mystery, and it is this awe that for me can be cultivated. You can cultivate awe. You can cultivate wonder. You can cultivate an attitude of curiosity. These can be cultivated and they are, they are keys that if you, if you work them, they open this door that I'm calling love. And the third one is grief. And I've touched upon this before. But, but really, sometimes, sometimes I can speak of grief and my, my grief, my experience of grief, um, and it, every eye is dry in me. <laughs> and sometimes not. Sometimes it, it just comes as a wave. And I say that it has been the greatest teacher on the spiritual path that I have ever had. And I've had some fairly significant teachers on the spiritual path. But this teacher has been the one who has and continues to. And what I say is, that I don't ever want to leave the company of this teacher. I always want access to this teacher. And it doesn't mean that I want what oftentimes is, is our associate aspects of this, sometimes which is paralysis almost, or deep depression, or 
um, or anxiety or pain or, you know, even physical pain. I don't, I don't relish any of those. What I'm talking about is a, the grief of, of a broken heart. As my teacher Lee would say that, that only, only God can heal, that only infinite love can heal. And even the healing is not a fixing and it's not an alleviation of the pain because actually what we experience is that it is through that wound of the individual broken heart that one connects to the fact that everybody on this call is that is has that. Everybody's wounded. Everybody's got a broken heart. And some are more in touch with it than others. And for all of us to recognize that this is the great, great, great gift of, our, of, of what this possibility of, the, of spiritual work is about, that we could plunge deeply into this, um, into this ocean and let the ocean carry us and let it teach us and let it open us and let it, and let it heal us in the deepest sense of the term. So those are, those, are, those are my words on accessing the chamber of the heart. And um, that's the homework, uh, if anybody wants to take it on. <laughs> because, yes, love, love can be built. Even though we live in it, we don't live it all the time. You know, it's like the fish in the sea is thirsty. You know, that, that funny analogy we are living love. And, we, and as Lee said in that piece, because that is the essence of who you are. That is what you are. But, you know, I don't get it. And I don't live it. And that's what the spiritual path is about. It's about stabilizing in what we have touched upon in a moment, which we knew was true. And so we can practice in the, in the antechamber of love. We can practice through stillness, which is everything from our, our daily meditation practice, exercise practice, breath practice, chanting practice, anything that brings stillness to the body. We can practice with the cultivation of awe and wonder and gratitude. And we can certainly practice by bowing down to this great teacher of grief that we are in touch with in our own hearts, but also we don't have to go very far right now in this day and age to see it everywhere. So, so, so accessible for so many people who previously have not been in touch with it. So I'll close with a, with a, with a poem. This is called um, Next Time, and uh, it's by Mary Oliver. Next time, what I'd do is look at the earth before saying anything. I'd stop just before going into a house and be an emperor for a moment and listen better to the wind or to the air being still. When anyone talked to me, whether blame or praise or just passing time, I'd watch the face, how the mouth has to work, and see any strain, any sign of what lifted the voice. 
And for all, I'd know more. The earth bracing itself and soaring. The air finding every leaf and feather over forest and water. And for every person, the body glowing inside the clothes like a light. <laughs>